Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Well, good weekend, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. A little bit late this week, and uh, quite honestly, just a bit of a, a mental thing for me. I've, I've been struggling a little bit here uh, this week, and I'm not going to get into it all that much, but I just wanted to apologize for the late episode. Uh, but uh, as always, it's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta, and uh, I just picked up actually a, a couple more pounds last weekend, and this time, uh, I've been able to enjoy it throughout the week and uh, had some last night, as a matter of fact. It's delicious. I recommend you uh, check it out yourself. If you are in Western Canada, you can have it shipped to you. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. Two locations, one in Leduc and one in Spruce Grove, both of those in Alberta, but they will ship uh, to Western Canada. You can ask for Trent in Leduc and Trevor in Spruce, and I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Let's get to the question of the week, which I put up on Twitter, uh, obviously with the Frozen Four. Now, just, uh, well, less than a week away, it's uh, a Frozen Four question. Who are your two finalists? And uh, give me your eventual champ. I made it a poll so that people could vote for their eventual champ, but I also wanted people to tell me who who the two teams they think will be in the final. Of course, right now you've got Minnesota Duluth taking on UMass, and they will play the winner between... Minnesota State and St. Cloud State. Uh, And right now, as I speak with you, the uh, leading vote is going to the uh, University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, and that would mean a three-peat for the Bulldogs and for Scott Sandlin. That would be an amazing accomplishment. It would be their third consecutive victory, but in four years, which to me is even more impressive because, you know, obviously last year everything was canceled. That means they lost a, a bunch of players from last year's team. So the fact that they were able to do it uh, three years in a row with a one-year gap in there uh, is uh, pretty remarkable. Now, it hasn't happened yet. Let's not put the cart ahead of the horse. But you tell me on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee, who you're voting for to be the next national champ. 45.2% right now, as I speak with you, have UMD. Minnesota State is a second at 23.3%. Might as well get right into the uh, news and notes as well. And uh, we can start with the national tournament bracket in college hockey last weekend. Well, mine was terrible. 
I got off to a brutal start. Eight games in the opening round. Two of them were uh, no contest as uh, teams uh, came down with uh, COVID situations at Notre Dame the night before and uh, Michigan the, the day of uh, the start of the tournament. So Duluth had the automatic buy, as did Boston College. I did pick Duluth uh, to win that game against Michigan, though, in what I thought was going to be the, the best game of the opening round. But outside of that, I only had three of the other games correct. I did predict North Dakota to beat AIC. I did take UMass to beat Lake Superior. And I took uh, the Golden Gophers to beat Omaha. And that all happened. But I was wrong with uh, Bemidji State upsetting Wisconsin. I was wrong with Minnesota State coming back late and uh, winning in overtime against Quinnipiac. And I picked BU to beat St. Cloud. Obviously, very incorrect. As it is... I was 0 for 4 with my Frozen 4 picks. I had North Dakota, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Boston College in the Frozen 4. So I was terrible this year. Let me know how you did with your bracket. Now, uh, early this coming week, I will have the Frozen 4 Coaches Show. It will be a little different than usual. Usually I get all four individual coaches on the program, uh, all separately for 10, 15-minute interviews. Uh, that's not going to be the case this year. This year I'm going with the availability that the NCAA put together for all the media uh, with the coaches. I have the audio from that that I'm going to share. I think it's just a little bit uh, a little bit more complicated this year with all the COVID stuff going on. So uh, I got the audio from that, and I will share that early in the week. But a couple of other college hockey news items to pass on. Uh, Rico Blasi. Hired this week and named as the new head coach for St. Thomas, which uh, is entering Division One this coming season in the return of the CCHA, the new CCHA. But Enrico Blasi, uh, of course, a very well-known and respected head coach uh, who spent a lot of time with the Miami Redhawks successfully with that program, although they struggled in the NCHC. But he took Miami to the uh, Frozen Four and into a, a national championship game and would have uh, won it if not for a very late comeback by Boston University, finished off in overtime by uh, Colby Cohen. Uh, but uh, Enrico Blasi, I think, good coach, and great to see him back behind the bench uh, in the NCAA at the, at the Division One level, and uh, another Canadian. We always like to point out the success of Canadians here on the Pipeline Show uh, when it comes to college hockey, for sure. No Canadians in the Hobie Baker, although I guess... Uh, Dryden McKay does have dual citizenship, so maybe we'll claim him for the purpose of that. Uh, Dryden McKay, one of the Hobie Hattrick. Shane Pinto, North Dakota, now signed with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, he is also in the Hobie Hattrick, but the heavy favorite would be Cole Caulfield, now with the Montreal Canadiens, but uh, played the last couple of years at Wisconsin. That is your Hobie Hattrick. Uh, Dryden McKay, netminder with Minnesota State. He's the only player of this trio that is still active here looking for a national title. Moving on to the Western Hockey League, and uh, I guess the big news this week is that the Kelowna Rockets have suspended play for the next couple of weeks after uh, some positive COVID test results coming back. So that's not good as they just began playing. Uh, that division, the BC division, just started play. Right now the Kamloops Blazers are off to a 3-0 start. Vancouver's 2-1. The Rockets were 1-1. Uh, Prince George 1-2 and, and Victoria is 0-3. But a tough situation there. And in the province of BC, things are getting uh, worse when it comes to COVID and, and lockdowns uh, expected to start here again. That might happen all across the country. It is in Ontario, especially with the uh, 
the variants that are happening. And, uh, you know, I talk to people, uh, I have this side gig where I sees me talking with people from around the world. And there's someone out of Brazil that I speak with on a regular basis uh, who has described the situation down there. As, it's, it's nightmarish where they have over 3000 people a day dying. Uh, and that, uh, that Brazilian variant has now arrived in Canada, here in Alberta as well, uh, and that is a scary situation. So hopefully that uh, resolves itself and uh, that teams will be able to continue playing safely and managing uh, with all the protocols in place. Uh, elsewhere in the WHL, just a quick check on uh, the rest of the divisions. Uh, the Everett Silvertips on top of the U.S. division with a 6-1 and record. Portland is next. They're 4-1-2. Uh, and Seattle playing well. They're four and three. Uh, Tri Cities two and four. Spokane right now, the surprise to me, they are winless after five games. Here in the Central Division, the Oil Kings are on top with a record of ten and one. They took apart the Red Deer Rebels yesterday, nine to two, the final score. Logan Dahaniak, defenseman, with a six-point night, tying a franchise record for uh, points in a game. Uh, Sebastian Kosa hasn't played. In all 11 games the Oil Kings have played, he is a perfect 9-0. and uh, The Oil Kings, though, are 10-1. and Medicine Hat is 8-3. and Calgary, 5-6-1. and Lethbridge has won three games out of the 11 they've played, and Red Deer in last place right now in the division with two victories out of 11 games. And the Subway Hub in Regina, it's interesting that that division, the East Division, has caught up to the Central now in terms of games played. Saskatoon is 9-1-1. One, and one. Meanwhile, Brandon is uh, right behind them, 8-2-1. and one. Winnipeg playing well, 7-4. and four. And then you have uh, teams that are just under the 500 mark in Moose Jaw, Regina, Prince Albert, and a Swift Current. And a new challenge for Swift Current this year. It's not a lack of offense. They're scoring goals. Uh, they just can't seem to keep them out of their net. Uh, leading scorer in the WHL right now. What a story this is. Connor Bedard. 20 points uh, leading the league in scoring right now. Uh, Cole Clayton, Peyton Krebs, and Jake Neighbors are next with 19 points. Interesting uh, note, Dylan Gunther with 18 points right now. The Oil Kings are about to play. In fact, by the time this airs, they're playing an afternoon game here on Saturday. It starts as I'm speaking with you right now. But the Oil Kings, nine goals in the game last night. Dylan Gunther didn't have a single point. Neither did Cade Oliver. Uh, Two-thirds of Edmonton's top line. So. You don't see that very often where a team scores that many goals and the uh, big guns were a little bit quiet. Jake Neighbors actually had three points, though, and that's why he's now a top scorer for the Oil Kings. Uh, but again, what a story for Connor Bedard leading the WHL in scoring as a 15-year-old. The uh, top goaltenders in the WHL, well, according to the stats, it's Trent Miner and Cole Schwebius. Uh, they've only played one game. Braden Holt is a new netminder for the Everett Silvertips. There's a guy who was born to be a goaltender, Braden Holt. Not Holt B, but just Holt. Uh, he also has only played one game, but they're all, all three of those guys are in the top five. Uh, Dustin Wolf off to a 5-1 and one start. He has a .66 goals against average and a .976 save percentage. Uh, he is the top starter, and Sebastian Kosa right behind him as well. And I think it's probably fair to expect those two to be atop the goaltending stats for the rest of the season. Out in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, two teams uh, way ahead of the pack, Charlottetown and Val d'Or. Interesting, the Islanders are ranked number one if you go by winning percentage. They've played 33 games and have an 879. Val d'Or second 
with an 861. They've played 36 games, though, so they've played three more games, and that's the difference. If you go by points, they have 62, whereas Charlottetown has 58. Uh, nobody else is even close to those two teams right now. And not surprisingly, a couple of Charlottetown Islanders leading the league in scoring, Cedric DeRouzeau and Thomas Casey. They also have the top goaltender in the league in Colton Ellis. Lucas Cormier, fourth right now, actually tied for third in league scoring with Elliot Denoyer from the Halifax Mooseheads and Olivier Nadeau from Shawinigan. And the uh, second goaltender of note in the league is Jonathan Lemieux from Valdor. No surprise there when you have two teams way out ahead that uh, top scorers and the top goaltenders are from those two teams. Speaking of scorers, in the USHL new record, Sean Farrell has uh, set a new record in USHL scoring. He's got 84 points this season and uh, still some time to go in the regular season. It's his fourth year in the league. His first two were with uh, the U.S. National Development Program, and last year he spent with the Chicago Steel. He was expected to go to Harvard this year, but of course Harvard didn't play, so he was back in the USHL and just making a mockery of the league this year. 84 points in 45 games, 26 of those are goals. He was drafted by the Montreal Canadiens in the fourth round in 2020, so massive year for Sean Farrell. This weekend marked the return of the British Columbia Hockey League. We'll talk a lot about the BCHL at the end of the show today as uh, the story we touched on late last week that uh, reports were that the BCHL would leave the CJHL. They would separate and uh, form their own renegade league. And that a handful, four AJHL teams were expected to join them. The AJHL responded and uh, said there's nothing to that. Uh, a couple of those teams that were mentioned, including Brooks, said we're happy with the AJHL. We're not going anywhere. So that seemed to put some water on the fire. But I believe it was Rod Peterson who originally broke the story and then said that a letter has been sent to uh, the CJHL of the BCHL's uh, intention to leave. I did reach out to somebody with uh, connections who was able to confirm that the AJHL knows that the BCHL has formally withdrawn from the CJHL. Uh, but there has been no formal announcement, no official public announcement, which is strange. At least to me, it's strange. So not sure exactly where that story is going, if it's going, or if uh, or if it's a, if it turns out to be a non-story. Don't know. Uh, but we'll see where it uh, goes moving forward. All right, I want to get to my guests. Uh, of course, they join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Go to troubledmonk.com, and if you live in Alberta, between Calgary and St. Albert, including Edmonton and Sherwood Park and Leduc and Airdrie and uh, obviously Red Deer, uh, and Olds, and uh, Pinoca, and Lacombe, and all the towns in between, you can get same-day home delivery by going to troubledmonk.com. Using promo code PIPELINE, you can get that delivery for absolutely free. And I recommend that you uh, look at the website on a regular basis and uh, click on the on the toolbar where it says shop, because it's changing all the time. There's a new brown ale called Granny's Little Helper. It's an oatmeal raisin cookie brown ale. So you might want to give that a shot. I will say I'm going to give a shout out to the Adequate Vodka Soda Lemon Lime. I've been drinking those lately and I really like them. I see a note right now that they're currently out of stock, but things change so quickly uh, with Troubled Monk that uh, you might want to check back on a regular basis to see when it's in stock. But great folks at Troubled Monk, they will absolutely take care of you and uh, you will not be disappointed 
when you're sampling some craft beverages. They're craft beverages worth sharing at troubledmonk.com. My guest list today, you're going to hear from three guests. A couple of them are going to be uh, slightly longer segments, which is why I kept to three this week. We'll begin with uh, Adam Woden from uh, College Hockey News. You've heard him here on the Pipeline Show for uh, many, many years now. Uh, we obviously recap what happened last weekend and look ahead to the Frozen Four as well. Some other stories uh, in that conversation that we uh, touch on. From that, we will turn on the 2021 Draft Spotlight segment and uh, speak with a player who is going the college route. He will be a member of the Minnesota Golden Gophers next year, but this year he's playing for the U.S. National Development Team. His name is Chaz Lucius, and uh, he's having well, it was a late start to the season, but he is making up for lost time as uh, the points are just piling up for him. Slated to go in the first round, so another player that you need to know with the World U18s coming up right away. So perfect time to get to know Chaz Lucius. And we will end this week's segment with a player development coach and uh, independent scout who you've heard here on the program a number of times as well. His name is Ross McLean, and he is the gentleman that I wanted to call on to uh, pick his brain a little bit about what does it mean if the BCHL leaves the Canadian Junior Hockey League how does that work? Does it make sense? Do they want to become more like the USHL, like Canada's version of the USHL as the premier feeder to NCAA hockey? You could argue the BCHL is already that. So what do they gain by becoming a, a renegade league? And are there some risks involved to that? And why is the USHL successful in their model south of the border? And can that be emulated up here? Lots of stuff we cover with Ross McLean. So let's get right to it. Before we launch the show, just a reminder of ProStockHockey.com. That's your online source for authentic pro stock hockey equipment, whether it's sticks and gloves or all the rest of the equipment. You can follow them for new product updates, special offers, contests, and more. You can get them on Twitter at ProStockHockey or on their website, ProStockHockey.com. If you use the promo code STICKS-10, this weekend, you save 10% off all player and goalie sticks. It's the perfect time to replace that frayed blade or an old shaft that's lost its pop. Shop now at ProStockHockey.com. Let's get to the show. When we come back, I'll be in conversation with Adam Woden from College Hockey News. That's next here on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. This is Greg Carvel with UMass, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Dylan Larkin. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Kevin Shattenkirk. Goal! James Van Riemsdyk were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey! 
Hey, what happened? Welcome back to the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming, and we'll uh, begin this week's episode uh, kind of recapping what we saw last week in a uh, very uh, uh, how, how to describe what happened in the uh, regional play uh, for the NCAA National Tournament. A couple of uh, teams got automatic buys. There were tons of upsets along the way. Not one single number one ranked team from any of the regionals advanced to the Frozen Four. Uh, my bracket completely out the window. No surprise there. Uh, but this year, even worse than usual. Uh, to help me recap what happened and to look ahead at the Frozen Four is Adam Woden from College Hockey News. Adam, welcome back to the program. Uh, how how bad was your bracket compared to most years? Compared to most years, it's pretty much the same, you know. <laughs> about about 500 in terms of picking the games. And, uh, you know, if I get one or two to the Frozen Four, it's usually good. But So this year is just one, just just UMass. Uh, you know, I was, I guess, dumb enough to take all the number one seeds. And I thought that UMass <laughs> should have been the number one seed, so therefore... You know, that's why I picked them. So I guess uh, that worked out for me in that sense. Was there one uh, of the upsets in the uh, opening round that stood out more than the others to you? I I, I didn't think Bemidji State was going to have I, – I expected that was going to be a three or four goal victory for Wisconsin, and it was the complete opposite. Yeah, I, I got to tell you that these days nothing surprises me. So that's first of all. Um, you know, and, and, and even – you know, every you know, everyone always sometimes well, sometimes people get on my case it's like, well, you know, what are you actually saying? But I always try to qualify you know, I hate predictions in the first place. I try to qualify them by saying, Look, I'm not saying this is definitely going to happen. Mm-hmm. Just that if you force me to pick one, I I'm leaning this one. But by no means do I not think anyone else has a chance, you know? And uh even Bemidji State, I mean I again, uh, you know, there is plenty of times where I'm wrong, so don't get me wrong, but for the last two months I've been saying that we don't know what the Big Ten is going to be in the tournament. So while I thought when you watch the games on TV, it's like, oh, those those teams look dazzling, right, with all those superstars on it. Mm-hmm. But in the past, those teams with those kind of players would lose in the NCAA or even before getting there, non-league games, because they're playing bigger, older teams. And so I said, you know, the proof's going to be in the pudding there in the NCAA. So I really honestly gave Bemidji a pretty decent chance in that game. Uh, I still picked Wisconsin, don't get me wrong, but uh, you know that, that caveat, I think, came to fruition. You saw it in that game. You saw it in Minnesota State versus Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I have a feeling from watching that that the game we all wanted to see, which didn't happen, which was Duluth-Michigan. I think Duluth would have wiped the floor with them, to be honest with you. Well, I, I picked the Bulldogs in that uh, matchup, and, it, and then it was moot because of what happened uh, COVID-wise for Michigan. But I thought that was going right. to be the best game of the opening round, and then we didn't even get to see it. To your point, though, I thought that it was the, going to be that experience for uh, Duluth, even though a lot of those guys who have been around and won the national title here in the last uh, three years, I guess, uh, two uh, that they actually got to play. A lot of those players aren't around anymore, but the coaching staff all got all that experience, and there are some members of that team. Uh, and that experience, it's invaluable at the collegiate level, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And uh, it's it's a combination of the experience and the age, you know. I mean, Minnesota Duluth has some older players, and we've been talking about this for years and years now at this point. The mm-hmm. phenomenon is not new, right? But the difference this year was that the Big Ten schools were all just playing each other. So they were all playing against similar styles. And, you know, I even asked Bob Motzko, the coach of Minnesota, after this game, like, wouldn't it have been nice to have played a bigger, older team in some nominee games this year to get that experience? And he said, yeah, well, yeah, obviously. You know, that's just, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to do that. So next yeah. year there's going to be hopefully some of those. And, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely, you know, those kind of teams are the ones that usually win out this time of year. I mean, you can win. I thought Minnesota was balanced enough where it could it could uh, get through, mm-hmm. um, but we even saw how the troubles that they had with Minnesota State. So I think there's another the level that those teams need to get to, but it's hard to get to when you have the turnover that you have. I have to ask your thoughts on the the big five overtime game uh, between UMD and and UND. Uh, just two arch rivals going toe to toe, and the the late uh, regulation time comeback by North Dakota, and uh, all the drama with Stashko going out uh, with uh, cramps, and and uh, Ryan Fanta coming in in what was it the fourth overtime period, and somehow the Bulldogs still pulling it out. That that game just had it all, and and probably more than anybody expected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of times those long overtime games get to be a slog. It's like after the first overtime, teams like are exhausted, and you know, it's just like they're going through the motions for a while. They'll yeah. make some mistake. But I thought for the, mo- I mean, you could tell they were getting more tired. But I thought for the most part, it was pretty good. There was still scoring chances and so on, things happening. So I thought it was fantastic. And you know, obviously the, the uh, regulation. I mean, zero zero through two periods, but it was still an entertaining game. And then the comeback and all that. And like you said, so. I, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, I thought North Dakota was clearly the best team in the country all year. I couldn't imagine anyone watching games from different places and not thinking that just from seeing it. But I did think if any team was going to knock them off, it was going to be Duluth just because of the experience, the fact they were a rival and, and know them so well and uh, been there before. You know, if North Dakota got through, I didn't see anyone really doing anything to them in the Frozen Four, Matt. So, but they got knocked off. And, you know, as Brad Berry even said, their coach, it's like, you can't hang your head, you know, like it's a lot of those guys were seniors uh, and they came back they could have all left for pro deals. They came back even in these COVID times mm-hmm. and the uncertainty because they wanted to win that championship. And so you feel bad because they did that. And then, you know, there's their shot down the drain, but they didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing in that game. It was like a coin flip. Uh, literally like there's, I, I can't look at any moment in that game and say you did poorly, you know, and you have a regret. There's no regrets for North Dakota. They just, it's like, that's sports. The other team is trying just as hard as you are. And they ran into a, a, an opponent who uh, scored the one goal more than them that day. And uh, hopefully, you know, they'll be able to take that uh, solace down the road. And obviously they're going to be disappointed, but, you know, you, you can't really, sports has a winner and a loser. So as a proverbial, somebody had to lose. And uh, it was them that day. And that's the, what can you do? Adam Woden from College Hockey News, my guest. Uh, we're going to look at the uh, the four teams who are in the Frozen Four. But before we do, uh, Adam, a bunch of signings that have happened here uh, over the last week as well and some pretty key players uh, no longer at the collegiate level and off uh, to start their pro careers, uh, a lot of them signing NHL deals. Uh, just recently, Matt Boldy signs with uh, Minnesota. Pete Deliberatore. De I've been practicing on how to pronounce this correctly. Quinnipiac, <laughs> Quinnipiac, uh, oh, no, Quinnip- terrible, Quinnipiac, <laughs> Quinnipiac. Uh, that's right, uh, he signs with Vegas, the team that drafted him, obviously Cole Caulfield signed, that one uh, didn't take any time at all, um, Mike Ring signs with uh, the Edmonton Oilers from Northeastern, Tyce Thompson signs with New Jersey, uh, Josiah Slavin uh, leaves Colorado College to sign with Chicago, the Blackhawks also signed Mark Hardman, so a lot of uh, signings that have happened already, and uh, I, I believe uh, did not Spencer Knight just sign as well? Just uh, earlier today, uh, has signed with the Florida Panthers. Uh, I am surprised we haven't heard anything about Dylan Holloway uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. Are you hearing anything about that? Uh, it's only a matter of time, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, these, these these things don't always happen right away, but uh, you know, I would imagine that's going to happen at some point. I mean, none of these things surprise me anymore. 
Uh, Spencer Knight, I had heard during the course of the season, may stick around uh, just because this year was so weird to get another year at BC and Florida maybe didn't really need him yet. Yeah. Um, Because I was hearing there was goalies in the transfer portal in the NCAA that were presumably kind of like perfect fits for Boston College, but they decided not to go there because they thought Knight might stick around another year. So Mm. the fact that he's leaving now, I mean, that throws that out the window. So maybe some of those guys wish they had gone there, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the way it is. And, uh, for Boston College, already losing Hardman and Boldy and Knight. I mean, it just points to what I was saying before about the Big Ten, you know, throw Boston College in there among that caliber of team. Um, they're going to be, they're going to have problems next year. You know, I think, uh, they got exposed in the NCAA tournament against St. Cloud, uh, for what their deficiencies are. Very similar to Wisconsin, as I was talking about before. And, uh, I don't know, you know, if they'll be able to, really recover from that next year either. They're going to have the same same deficiencies. Uh, and uh, the ability for them to really build a team over time has uh, take, taken a, a hit over the last five years. Who are some of the uh, the free agents that you're expecting to hear from uh, in the next few weeks? Because with the AHL and the NHL playing much longer this year, we might see more, more guys sign uh, uh, right out of college, no? Yeah, I'm sure we will. Usually do, you know. it's uh, I know uh, Kawaguchi, as a senior, just signed with Dallas. And so, you know, I tend not to uh, worry about the guys who are leaving anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's the guys who are leaving early I keep my eye on. But, uh, you know, I definitely think there are candidates for that. Ty Pelton Vice, Wisconsin, uh, is an, he's a senior as well. You know, he originally was at Harvard. Uh, I think Chase Primo is an outstanding uh, player at Omaha. Mm-hmm. He's obviously got the name and the pedigree there, um, but wasn't drafted. And I think uh, that's a guy a lot of people have their eye on. Uh, as an underclassman, and uh, you know, so I think, you know, the list the list goes on. You know what I mean? There's a lot of them. I mean, Bobby Trevino, who's a smaller guy, but uh, he's been great for UMass this year as a junior. I mean, I don't know, you know, if he's going to get noticed just because he's five foot eight, but uh, you know, if UMass uh, pulls it off, that might uh, raise his stock hmm. as well. So, yeah, I think we're going to, you know, th- who knows? There's always surprises as well, right? But those are some of the names that come to mind right away. All right, let's get to the Frozen Four. Uh, it'll be St. Cloud uh, taking on Minnesota State on one side and Minnesota Duluth against UMass on the other. Uh, that would be the late game. I guess we'll start with uh, uh, St. Cloud State and uh, Minnesota State. Now, which state school uh, is the stronger between the two? I, I, for me, I just I noticed Minnesota State kind of struggled down the stretch, but obviously pulled it out, needed last-minute uh, heroics in their opening round as well. But uh, have they finally got the monkey off their back in the tournament? Yeah, I, I, well, both teams really. That's true. Yeah, St. Cloud uh, was the number one overall seed in eighteen and nineteen, and lost in the first round both times. That's so, right. uh, to a large extent, it's very similar, and uh, they're very similar, similar type teams. Uh, the big wild card for St. Cloud, I think, is going to be well. First of all, they look they lose Easton Brodzinski, who is their number one goal scorer, and unfortunately, got he broke his leg in the. Uh, tournament game there against BC. So uh, the the young uh, water bug line, if you will, for St. Cloud that, uh, you know, that uh, is, didn't play that great, I didn't think, in the uh, in the two games in Albany, although they, they had their moments, but uh, they, they had a great regular season. If they can step up, I'm talking about Vidi Meekman and Yami Kronola, uh, these guys are all like, you know, five foot nine players. Zach Okabe is the other guy on that line. Mm-hmm. And they're all the same, you know, they fly around. But I thought they were a little overwhelmed at first. 
Um, with Brzezinski out, if that line can step up and play the way they were during the regular season, I think they have a pretty good shot. Now, Minnesota State, uh, you know, yeah, you're right. They they kind of took some hits down the stretch. I mean, I, those things can go one of two ways. I mean, because they dominate their league. But, you know, they, they did play – they don't play a lot of stiff competition. But when, when they did, by and large, they did pretty well. But they also lost a few times to some teams. Bemidji State beat them. Uh, Northern Michigan beat him in the uh, WCHA semifinal. So, um, you know, it's like it can go one of two ways. Either, either like, the, are you are you showing the uh, cracks in your armor there, or are they just kind of bored by the regular season at that right. point and waiting to get the NCAAs? And so, can you flip the switch? And you know, that first period against Quinnipiac, they did not look great, and uh, they got behind two nothing, and then they did seem to flip the switch, but. Uh, they couldn't score for a while, and uh, they they finally got those two at the end of the third period that uh, you know got them into the into the overtime, and and basically they dominated that game from the second period on, but they almost didn't tie it, so you know they could easily be gone. But once they got past that, they really it was like men against boys, honestly, against Minnesota, and and I mean that literally because you're talking about 23 year olds versus 18 year olds in a lot of cases. So um, you know, now that they're through that, I think it's. It's sort of like now they're on even footing with St. Cloud. And, and Minnesota State in the past, you know, even though their league isn't great, have proven that they can win games out of conference, especially against the teams in their state. I mean, they love having those rivalry games and proving themselves. So I, I see no reason why they can't win this whole thing or any of the four teams, really. The Mavericks, uh, they're as you mentioned, they're a team of uh, veteran players at this point. Not a lot of household names on that team. I think everybody's starting to, uh, you know, casual fans – uh, are starting to pick up on Dryden McKay and, and what he means to that program. But they only have two drafted players. One of them's Todd Burgess, who hasn't done anything hardly here in the last month for Minnesota State after transferring from RPI. Who are the go-to right. guys on this team that people need to uh, recognize and expect to, to lead the way? Yeah, it's like plug and play, you know. I mean, that's the beauty of it. They've, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they, they have Mark Michaelis, I just saw, who's a graduate there, just I saw made his NHL debut recently. So, I mean, they do have guys that go up, and uh, but they're not going to be blue-chip names or high-end draft picks, but uh, that's okay, you know. I mean, Union did it with not a lot of them. They had Goss Bear, but that was it pretty much. And, uh so there's nothing wrong with that as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's the thing is you watch them and people have the misconception that teams like that are slow, you know, because they're bigger and older. And I, I deal with this with Cornell a lot over the years. They're not slow at all. I mean, if you watch, they are really all over you. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's actually, I like, I like watching teams like that play, you know, I mean, they don't have, they're not waiting for odd man rushes, but they do everything right. You know, uh, they forecheck right, and they make plays, and they get guys in front of the net, and they they shut you down, and uh, you know they they pressure they shut you down with pressure though, not by not by just sitting back and uh, blocking shots, even though they do that as well. So um, there's plenty of guys to watch for, but they're, they're all they're all very similar in that sense. Julian Leprov makes a good story. He leads their team in points. Uh, you know he came over from Germany, and uh, you know it was one of those guys where who knows if they were going to be able to get back in the country because of the COVID situation. A lot of these guys had that issue. Um, you know, a lot of Europeans uh, in college hockey these days, so they had that had that issue. But they were able to get him back, and he's fine. So, you know, he, he's, uh, he's, he's I think they're, you know, one of their better overall players. And then they, they've got a couple of freshmen who, you know, we debated which one to put on our all-rookie team that we just announced. Right. Uh, Jake Livingstone 
and Akito Hiroshi. Yep. And, uh, you know, you might know the name Hiroshi from uh, his brother yep. who went to Michigan State, and as I, but he's in the Detroit system, yeah. yeah. So so those two guys, I mean, you know, so, so they're a team that's bigger, older, but balanced where they have juniors, seniors, sophomores, freshmen, and they just keep churning them in every year, and they don't have to worry about guys leaving early. That's the thing, you know. Uh, yeah, I, both of those guys Canadian, by the way, uh, Livingstone and uh, Hiroshi, <laughs> so got to point that out. And uh, all right, with St. Cloud, the, the guys that uh, they do have some drafted players, but uh, David Rennick is is kind of uh, one of the bigger names on the team. And uh, this goaltending battle between he and uh, and uh, Dryden McKay, I mean, it could be a low scoring affair just because of the quality of the netminders. Although this year, who knows what to expect? But who knows? Who knows? <laughs> you know, Rennick's reputation is that he has good games and bad games, or great games and bad games. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he put together two straight really good games in the regional. So what does that mean? Is he due for a bad one, or is he, <laughs> uh, or is it clicked in? Right. So uh, that's another wild card because McKay is pretty consistent. And uh, you know, again, we we named him second team. Uh, behind Jack LaFontaine, and of course, that's the second straight year we've done that. Hmm. And oh, that just brings everyone out of the woodwork to trash us, you know, because McKay's numbers look ludicrous. Uh, at one point, he was at like 0.7 goals against average. It got up to 1.39 at the end of the year with 10 shutouts, but his save percentage uh, is just behind LaFontaine's, and uh, that's probably these days uh, a more reliable individual indicator. Uh, he does have the 10 shutouts that look, look ridiculous, but he faces only like 18 shots a game. I mean, honestly. And, again, everyone thinks I'm, like, criticizing the guy when I say this. I'm just pointing out <laughs> that, you know, he's not – you know, if, if LaFontaine's one and he's two, I mean, it's not like I'm calling him trash, right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> – uh, but that's, of course, the way fans perceive these things. But, uh, you know, McKay is fine. He is a smaller goalie, though, at 5'11". So um, – and, and the fact is, like, he does not face a lot of shots per game. But, um, you know, he does his job, and he's fine. I don't think he's spectacular. Uh, he's, he's had a couple bad games this year here and there, but everyone else does as well. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, he's usually pretty consistent, but, uh, he never really had, we'll see if he ever has to, you know, go in a game where he faces 35 shots. All right, Adam, the other side with the Minnesota Duluth and, uh, UMass, uh, I think this could be a fantastic game. I'm really curious to see what happens in net kind of for both teams. I, I expect Lindbergh is the guy for UMass. I'm really, uh, curious about the goaltending split there, because Matt Murray was the starter up until early to mid-February, and since then it's been Lindbergh the whole way, and it's not like Murray was bad. Their games played are almost uh, identical, but it's like one guy played the first two months, the other guy played the other two months, so I'm not sure what happened there. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was an injury issue there with there was, uh, Lindbergh, okay. I think. Yeah, so uh, I think they had kind of established that he's probably going to get the nod, and then there was injury stuff, and uh, they were they were probably still going to split for a while, but then Murray got more, and then Lindbergh came back, and it was like uh, he was good right away, so they just rolled with it. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that he only played 14 of the 27 games, he probably would have been our first team all uh, CHN over LaFontaine because his numbers are tremendous. And forget, you know, forget the numbers, just watching them, he's – really been tremendous for them. And, uh, you know, I, I said it the other day on Twitter, I said, I thought, uh, you know, LaFontaine should win the Richter, but Philip Lindbergh is the best goalie in the tournament. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, th- he's done nothing to, nothing to prove me wrong on there. And they also have a great defense too. So, I mean, it's a, it's very deep. And uh, unlike two years ago when it was very McCarr heavy, um, you know, they do have the skill in Zach Jones, 
who was a sophomore drafted by the Rangers, wasn't there two years ago. And uh, Mark Del Geizo, who was another guy who we named to our second team all CHN. He was a, a freshman a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, doesn't have the kind of numbers that he had when he was playing with uh, McCarr, but he's still like uh, just a, a tremendous kind of lockdown guy and, and can provide offense as well. So, um, and then, you know, there's other names after that, but there, there's a very deep defensive team, I think deeper on defense than they were two years ago. And uh, they don't have like uh, maybe the scoring punch. Some of the guys who, who left uh, like John Leonard and Mitchell Chafee and, and obviously McCarr, but um, there's guys again pitching it all over the place with them. Uh, you watch them play; they're just, uh, you know, they did they did everything that Wisconsin did not do. You know, when they when I watched that regional and you saw Wisconsin have trouble with Bemidji, but uh, the team that Bemidji lost to in WCHA Lake Superior, Massachusetts handled pretty well, and uh, and then they handled Bemidji pretty well. So uh, everything that. Wisconsin was unable to do, UMass was able to do, and that's what gives me uh, confidence in them. In this in this rematch with the Minnesota Duluth, the, of course, Duluth that has, you know, it's like until they, someone beats them, I'm not going to believe they're going to ever lose. Right. So <laughs> um, it, it's it's hard, you know, the, they slayed the dragon, but they are also the dragon themselves, you know, and, uh, <laughs> after beating North Dakota. So I don't know how anyone beats Duluth, but if anyone's going to figure it out, I'll go with Greg Carville, who was our coach of the year, and uh, and him and his staff to figure it out. Well, it's a, it's a it's the rematch of the 2019 final, so there's obviously that a sidebar story uh, for sure. So many different pieces and different players on the two rosters because it's now two years later. But uh, one of the uh, uh, got to mention the Canadians again, Oliver Chow, uh, former uh, Brooks <laughs> Bandit uh, for Minnesota, uh, excuse me for UMass. Uh, the Minnesota Duluth side, the goaltending story is interesting to me as well because on paper, Ryan Fanti's been their guy for 80% of the season, but it was Zach Stasekol who get, got the start against uh, North Dakota, obviously played pretty well, then had to leave the game with the cramping. Uh, I, uh, where do they go in this game? Yeah. <laughs> that one I honestly don't have as much insight over. I mean, maybe someone else does more than I do. Uh, you know, Fanti, uh, there you go, Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay, as they say. Yep. Uh, so there you go. There's your Canadian influence, but stay school <laughs> an American. So uh, I don't know what that means. Probably nothing. But uh, yeah, I don't know where they go either. Uh, stay school looked really good in that game. I was worried when uh, you know Fanti had to come in for Duluth because he has uh, been really up and down. Um, you know, down the stretch, uh, he allowed, he had allowed seven goals in his prior two games before coming in. So I think that's why they switched. And so I don't know. I, I I would imagine they go back to state school if, if they feel like he's fine. But uh, you know that's what I would do. But I I don't know. I mean I'll trust Scott Sandlin, obviously. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> you know there's he he knows a lot more about coaching than I do. That's for sure. I'll I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, the standout players for Duluth and they do have a lot of drafted guys. But uh, you know I I thought Noah Cates would I, I expected more from him this season and, and it's not like he had a a terrible year, but uh, kind of quiet uh, during the tournament so far. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you say it's drafted guys, and it's true. I mean, they're, they're, there's no, they're not poor. They're not, they're not like, you know, we shouldn't cry for them that they don't get the blue chippers, but they don't get like the first and second rounders, you know? And like yeah. the one guy, that one of the third rounders they have is Matt Cairns, who's like, you know, basically, uh, you know, fifth year senior at this point, played at Cornell in the <laughs> past. And, uh, 
you know, I don't see as, as being a, a major NHL prospect at this point. Um, you know, so most of the guys you're talking about are fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just think that it, one of the other things with Duluth is that you look at their, like, top 12 or 15 players, they all played every game this season. They have not had injury issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that is another thing. Um, you know, when you get they're very healthy right now. These guys have all been through it. Uh, you know, Nick Swaney, Kobe Roth, Kobe Bender, uh, Cole Kepke. I mean, they all were in the, uh, on the championship team two years ago. Uh, three of those guys were on it the, the year before that as well. Uh, you know, Kepke is, uh, can be a dynamic player. I mean, that guy's got speed and, uh, you saw he almost scored uh, what would have been the game winner, <laughs> but it got called back right. in the overtime. And, uh, you know, the, that's a guy who really busted out last year, and then of course didn't get a chance to show it in the uh, NCAA tournament because it didn't happen. But uh, this year, 14 goals in 27 games, and uh, you know I think he's like their most dynamic player. I mean, the Cates guys, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't think they've been bad. Um, I'm sure they would have wanted more out of them, but I mean, I don't think they've been bad at any given moment. Uh, you know, Noah Cates can can turn something on. You know, so. Uh, Jackson Cates, uh, you know, not as much of a prospect, I guess, because he's older. Um, even though they're both juniors, they wait to play with each other. And, uh, but he, you know, he's just, just a solid leader type at this point. The perfect reason why Duluth uh, wins. I mean, the kind of guy that uh, contributes to those things, you know, because that's that's the way the teams are made up. He's the older, more experienced guys uh, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, Noah Cates is due. Uh, he's only got three points since February 6th and hasn't scored a goal since January 24th. Uh, so, and one of the guys uh, from up your way there, Tanner Ladderup from Edmonton, yep, yep. Uh, throwing a shout out for him because you know, I always liked him in the past, and he's a guy who only had two goals this year. And I'm not sure, you know, what the reason is this year why that, that you know didn't really materialize for him. But his his first two years he scored 15 goals, and I thought he was on his way to you know being that next guy. It was really Kept used the one who kind of broke out, but mm-hmm. um, but it would not surprise me if that's another wild card factor for Duluth. Yeah, a sort of an energy guy for them, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but he was coming along offensively, you know. I mean, you know, it looked like to me that uh, you know he was not just running around aimlessly <laughs> with the energy, but he was also scoring goals. And uh, this year, that just hasn't happened. But when he's out there, you still notice that that he's you know paying the neck. Hey, what do you think of Wyatt Kaiser this year? Because every time I've seen Duluth play, he, he's a standout for me as a freshman. Well, no, I, he's got tremendous upside, obviously. And uh, the beauty of, of a team like Duluth is you're able to kind of work that guy in. You know, I mean, he's a, a round pick. So for them, that's one of their higher blue chipper guys, you know, is, is relatively speaking. And he was just solid as far as I'm concerned. You know, he, again, like they don't have, they don't have to say to him that he has to do everything. Like you look, look at a guy like Drew Hellison on uh, Boston College who has to play like 30 minutes a night because there's no depth on that DC defense. And Kaiser's able to just kind of be one of the guys, you know. Um, you got Matt Anderson, you got Matt Cairns. I mean, those are those are two older players. Uh, you know, they've worked in uh, you know Hunter Lelig, who's another. Again, these are not like household names, but they're just upperclassmen who are st- steady, solid defensemen. They don't have uh, Perunovich's back there this year, but, uh, you know, Kaiser, but Perunovic wasn't Perunovic necessarily right away either. I mean, I think Kaiser can develop into something pretty big, but, but the, the key point there is that he has, he has time to develop there. That's the beauty of it. Uh, Adam, uh, who's your pick for the Hobie? 
Oh, it's not Cole Caulfield. Something's wrong. You know, I was having this argument with uh, someone who shall be named nameless, but uh, <laughs> that Shane Pinto, um, you know, was a more complete player and in terms of taking face-offs and 200-foot game and so on and so forth. And that's absolutely true. I have no doubt in my mind that Shane Pinto will probably be a better long-term NHL player than Cole Caulfield, I think. But for this year, what Caulfield did, and, uh, you know, again, you know, people say, well, look at the Big Ten. It kind of faltered. So maybe he wasn't playing against very competition. But I'll tell you what. Caulfield had 13 shots on goal in that game against Bemidji yeah. and 18 shot attempts. He was the only guy who showed up, as far as I'm concerned. And there were a number of games this year where he put them on his back. Um, you know, and it, in this case, it was 5-1 to one when he finally scored two goals. So, and I say, oh, well, they were meaningless. I get that. I mean, in this case, it's not his fault that it was 5-1 to one at that point. But there have been many other games this year that have been 2-1, to 1-1, one, one to one, where he's exploded in the third period and won them games, like single-handedly. So, where again, you know, Pinto, great player, 200-foot game. I totally agree with all that. But Caulfield is hands down the OB winner this year. Yeah, hard to disagree with that. And uh, I know you don't like predictions, so should I bother asking who wins the national title <laughs> this year? I, I I agree with what you said. It, until somebody beats Minnesota Duluth, how do you bet against them? Yeah, it's it's pretty hard for me to bet against them. It, but again, like you know, if I was putting odds on these things, it would be like, okay, you're you're fifty seven percent going to win it, you know, and you're forty three percent going to win. So obviously, one of the other teams can win it. Yep. But if I was forced to bet, I'm going to bet on Duluth until proven otherwise. I'm with you. Adam, as always, really appreciate your time. I kept you a long time. I appreciate uh, uh, you making the, yourself available again for the Pipeline Show. All good, man. Appreciate it. There's Adam Wooden from College Hockey News. They always do they they do a fantastic job throughout the season, breaking stories in the off season as well with, uh, with uh, some of the articles that their contributors write. Uh, always a, a great resource for college hockey fans. I like the simple breakdown for the rosters and the and the stats and and the schedules. I think it's a really easily navigatable website, and I like that. Uh, I like sites that are simple to use. And Adam always a wealth of knowledge when he's on the show, so I appreciate him making the time. Now I put the question of the day out there. I want your pick for the a final matchup: which two teams will be in the national championship game, and who ends up winning it? That's the question of the week on Twitter, at TPS underscore Guy. And I will tell you right now, as I did at the end of that uh, conversation, I can't pick against uh, the University of Minnesota Duluth. Until somebody beats them, they're the champ. And I I just think it would be a great story to see them win three consecutive titles, have to do it over four years. Uh, But to me, that makes it even more special. Uh, And I will have them uh, taking on Minnesota State in the final. How about that? So the uh, Bulldogs... And the Mavericks in the final, an all-Minnesota matchup with UMD winning their third consecutive national championship. Up next on the Pipeline Show, we're going to turn on the 2021 Draft Spotlight, chat with a player who will be playing college hockey in Minnesota, but he's going to join the Golden Gophers. His name is Chaz Lucius, and he's expected to go in the first round, and we'll learn why next here on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, powered by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Tia Samuelson left point. Gruden around on the right side. 1-0 U18. Stosny walks the line. Took the shot right on goal. They score! Fairby put in the rebound. 
and Farabee gives his grandmother a birthday present. It's 2 nothing. Hey, it's Joe Farabee from Team USA, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. He is a midnight mover. He can't go on in the Spruce Grove St. AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash is King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. We're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we are going to turn on the 2021 draft spotlight and get to know another player eligible for the upcoming draft. Uh, currently supposed to be held in July. I know everything right now has uh, got a big asterisk next to it because of COVID, but let's assume it's going to happen in July. I don't think my next guest will have to wait long before his name is called on draft day as uh, Chaz Lucius uh, joins me now from Team USA. Chaz, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I'm uh, I'm happy to get a chance to speak with you today. I said it at the start. I don't think you're going to have to wait long on draft day. You're having a terrific season, although it started awfully late for you, but 16 points in nine games. Uh, I would have to think now that you're playing, you're pretty happy with the way things are going. Yeah, I definitely am. I mean, obviously it was just important for me to get back and playing hockey again. And, and you know, once once I was back playing, it, it felt so good to be back on the ice and with my team again. I don't know if you can uh, sort of explain what happened or, or why the slow start for you. I'm assuming there was some sort of injury involved, but uh, can you bring us up to speed? Yeah, I was dealing with a lingering knee problem that, that just wouldn't go away, and, and I, I had to take some time off of, of hockey for, for a half a season. But it's good now, and, and everything's good to go. I, I You know, the natural question would be 100%, like you're feeling everything is... Yes, 100%. Awesome. Everything, everything yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great to hear, and that must give you a sense of confidence on the ice, too. I, I, I don't know if it would be natural to be a little leery at first, but how long until you felt, uh, you know what, no, everything's good? Yeah, I mean, just missing quite a bit of time. It was always, you know, when, when can I get back on the ice and, and and when can I start playing games again? But once I did, it, it felt it felt pretty normal again and, and felt like I never uh, never stopped skating. So so it was good. And it looks like that on the score sheet too, because right away your production is there. It's like you you didn't miss a beat. Uh, I don't know if that was what you expected to happen or not, but man, um, how does how does that happen where you can just pick up right where you left off? I'd say it's a testament to my work ethic. I, I work really hard to, to put myself in the positions to succeed, and then and then coming back, obviously, it's a dream start for me, and 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 I know that too. But I've also put in a lot of work to to have this happen, and, and I mean that's what it comes down to. It's the hard work, and then and then enjoying the moment and being in the moment to, to play the best hockey you can and help your team win games. Were you always around the team? Uh, while you were not playing, were you still still able to be, you know, part of the workouts and stuff like that, or did you have to with this world of COVID? I don't know. Were you always uh, on your own? No, unfortunately, I wasn't. I actually stayed back in Minnesota while I was dealing with my uh, knee problem. Well, that that had to have been a challenge, just even from a mental perspective, just not to be around, <laughs> yeah. not to be with your buddies. 
Yeah, it, it was a challenge for sure. But I mean, th- they knew what I was going through too, and and vice versa. So I I just try to get back as soon as I can to help the team win, and then looking forward to the World Championships here in April. It was a, was a big deal for me to get back and, and try to help my team as much as possible there. I was going to get to that later, but since you brought it up, I imagine just uh, how uh, the, the sense of urgency to, to make sure you're not just back, but back and playing at the top of your game in time for the for the U18s, because I know that's that's what the program builds to uh, for two years, uh, where you start with the U17s and the U18s, and that's such a, a massive milestone for you. Yeah, there's definitely some urgency just to get back and especially play in that tournament because, like you said, you you work your two years here to to play in that tournament and to have success with that and and going through it with your teammates is super important. And for me, I just I just tried to get back, like I said, as soon as I could to to be an impact player when I when I step on the ice for the U18 Worlds. My guest is Chaz Lucius. He uh, plays for the U.S. National Development Program uh, this year with the U18s. Obviously, last year with the U17 squad as well, and he is a draft-eligible player for the 2021 draft, and uh, everybody has you ranked inside the first round. Uh, Chaz, I don't know if you're a guy who thinks much about the draft or not. I know I talk to a lot of players your age on this show, and most of them will say they try not to think about it, but there are those who say they want to see where they're ranked and they use it as motivation and all of that stuff. Uh, What about you? Uh, for me, I, I just take it one day at a time, and I don't really worry about the draft stuff because I think at the end of the day, whatever team wants me, they'll they'll select me and 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 they'll think think of me highly. So I don't really try to think of it like that or, or rankings or anything like that. Just I just take it day by day, and, and whatever team drafts me, I'll try to be the best best I can for that team. Well, and you have that sort of luxury, if I could call it that. That there's no question you're going to get drafted. As you said, everybody seems to have you as a first rounder, but. Does there take some pressure off of you in that regard where you don't have to focus on it all that much because you, you're pretty confident it's, it's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, you, you want you want to be a high draft pick and, and you want a team to think highly of you in the early rounds. So, I mean, in that sense, yes, it does take some pressure off me. But but at the end of the day, I think everybody is just trying to play their best hockey, and especially in a year like this, that's, that's so important. And you work your, you know, basically, you know, whole hockey career up to this point for this for this moment and this opportunity to get drafted so so just taking it day by day and and just uh being in the moment and just not really looking looking ahead but just taking it one day at a time to be the best you can Chaz, uh, the pipeline show is a, a prospect show so we talk about junior and college hockey all the time on this show but casual nhl fans only might not ever care about the ushl or junior hockey or college hockey at all but when the draft rolls around they're going to seek out interviews with the draft eligible players so for the benefit of those casual nhl fans who have probably never heard of Chaz lucius let's get some background if you don't mind tell me where you grew up yeah i grew up in uh minnesota uh grant minnesota um just being a minnesota kid i feel like hockey was almost natural to be in but it wasn't my first sport i my first sport was actually basketball which my mom got me into because she played college basketball at the university of minnesota mankato so me and my brother started in basketball and then then uh, I kind of got into hockey a little later. I was uh, eight. My brother Cruz was seven. So that's kind of how we got started into hockey. But uh, ever since then, we've, we've loved it and, and took off. That's interesting. And that really not a whole lot of similarities between the two sports. I'm thinking from an athletic perspective outside of you're always moving in both sports. So maybe uh, from a, a cardio standpoint, they might have some similarities. Any Anything else that you think are a crossover? Um, not that I can think of the top of my mind, but, uh, no, no, I, I can't. Okay. When you started playing, you said you were about eight. Uh, have you always been a forward? 
Yeah, I've always been a forward. Never. Yeah, I've always played forward. I, I know at the younger ages, a lot of us have to throw the pads on and take our turn in net. That was never <laughs> a thing for you? No, no, I never had to do that. Nope. <laughs> Something about playing forward that just felt right? Never tried the blue line or anything like that? No, I, I always started in forward, and and I just loved that the aspect of you could score more goals at forward and, and, you know, put the puck in the back of the net more playing forward than you could at defense. And, and you've always been an offensive guy, so that side of the game, that part of the game just seemed to come naturally for you? Yeah, it did. Even when I was younger, it, it, it came pretty pretty natural for me, more than other people. Uh, tell me about how you got to the program. I know for a lot of players, that's that would be, uh, you know, the – Maybe uh, the dream for a lot of younger players is to to get to play for the program, but a lot of guys don't get that opportunity. So, how did you luck out? Uh, yeah, so I played at Gentry Academy U15. Um, so that was the year before I went to the NTDP for my U17 year. So the year I was getting recruited to the NTDP, and it was it was a good year for me. Uh, the it was great, and the tryout camp was uh, called 40 man so you go to that and and that's when they really pick the team so they take the 40 best and what they think of the 03 age group in uh, America and they take them and have a tryout camp and then from basically there they select the team and and when they said I made the team it it was it was a big honor for me and I felt relieved also because like you said you you always want to make the team and it's always in the back of your mind especially in that year when you know you can make the NTDP team so once once they that I made the team, it was a relief for, I guess, not only me, but my family as well for all the hard work and sacrifice that they've put into. And your uh, younger brother, is is he with the uh, the U-17s right, right now? Yeah, he is. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So you get to, do you guys cross paths a lot then? Um, not as much this year as probably a non-COVID year just because they try to keep the team separate, but obviously uh, we live together, so so I see him quite a bit. So uh, of course. Uh, now, I have yeah. to ask you, you were drafted by the Portland Winterhawks out of the WHL, and uh, you know there's been a lot of players who have gone the with the uh, national development team and then have uh, made the jump afterwards in their 18- and 19-year-old seasons uh, to play in major junior, and Seth Jones is a former uh, example of a, a Portland Winterhawk who was a part of the U.S. program at one point as well. Uh, you're going to the University of Minnesota with, to join the Golden Gophers. Was that an easy choice for you, though? Have you always known you're a college guy, or did Portland uh, was it alluring at all? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the people at Portland were great to me, and just the process with them showing me what the WHL was like, and and I respect that part of it, but. For me, just growing up in Minnesota, I always I always felt that I wanted to play college hockey, and I always wanted to play at the University of Minnesota. Just just watching the games when I was younger, I, I felt like I always idolized not only the players on the team, but but the team as well, being the University of Minnesota. So it was a no brainer for me when they when they offered me a spot that I that I took it, and and it's working out pretty well, and, and I'm excited next year for the opportunity I have there. Well, the team's awfully good, uh, although they fell short here uh, last weekend to, to get to the Frozen Four. But you got seven, I think there's seven Division One programs in the state of Minnesota to, to, to pick from. Why the Gophers specifically? I, you look the last five or six years, it's it's been the Duluth Bulldogs that have been the top team. Well, but why the Gophers for you? Uh, yeah, well, for me, just I, Duluth, uh, I think it's two and a half hours away from my home, so it's a little farther away. And just the University of Minnesota, I always went to those games. So, I mean, just just being there and being in that environment, I always knew that that was the place that I wanted to go to. All right. Uh, A guy like uh, Brock Faber, who's there now uh, and was in the program last year, is a connection like that 
part of the uh, the attraction to to go and play with guys that you have some familiarity with? Yeah, I mean it definitely is. I'll, I'll know quite a few guys on that team, and especially coming into that, just just a lot of Minnesota guys too. So I mean that's definitely an attraction, but more so just playing for the Gophers and putting on that jersey and and trying to win with them is is definitely the biggest attraction. I have to get a self scouting report from you. As I mentioned, there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans who haven't had a chance to watch you play, and I'll be honest, I haven't had a chance to watch you play with my own eyes yet. So. If we were to turn on a, a Team USA game, what should we expect to see from you other than, apparently, a couple of points a game? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, first off, what, what separates me is definitely my goal-scoring ability. I feel like there's very few people that, that have the touch around the net that I do and just, just in tighter, being able to shoot in tighter, being able to shoot from far away on the goalies and, and making a quick deception shot to, to put it in the back of the net. And then my puck protection skills down low and my ability to shield the puck from defenders and, and make the right play are the big things for me. And then then my work ethic on the ice to, to be able to, you know, win puck battles and, and do what it takes to help my team win. Uh, I, I know the sheet I'm looking at says six foot and 172 pounds, but th- these things can be awfully out of date at times. So what are you at right now? Uh, six one one eighty five. Oh, so a big difference. Do you notice that on the ice too? Yeah, I do, hundred percent. Yeah, uh-huh. it is a big difference now. Yeah, I put on a bit of weight and gained an extra inch, so it definitely helps a lot. Now you mentioned about the goal scoring, and that obviously jumps out. You got more goals than you've uh, played games so far, with sixteen points. I mean, eleven of those are goals. So when you when you are a natural shooter, it's it's critical to, to have the right line mate with you that's going to be able to find you and and uh, feed you that puck where you need it uh, who are your line mates this year that are helping you have so much success uh yeah my line mates honestly have rotated pretty much every game so uh but but the one guy that's been consistent for the last four games is isaac howard so i mean it, it's been good and we've we've had back and forth chemistry and he's a guy too that actually scores a lot of goals as well so it's been good so many guys from the, the that team, the U18 squad, get drafted every year. Is there some uh, inside bets inside the room? Who's going to get per, picked first and and stuff like that? The pecking order? Uh, not quite. Our, our team doesn't really talk about it, and people don't really like to talk about it as it is. So I mean, no, not nobody really does that. I, I'd say. <laughs> All right, uh, you're a Minnesota guy. Does that mean you're a Minnesota Wild fan, or were you cheering for somebody else? Uh, I've always been a Chicago Blackhawks fan when I've been younger. Don't don't really know why it why it happened, but just watching the games and watching guys like Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, and and their Stanley Cups run for me was was pretty cool to watch, especially when I was a little younger kid. So so they've always kind of been my favorite team growing up. All right, I don't know if there's things about their individual games because they're they are different players, Taves and and Kane and the other guys you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But are there aspects of their game that you're you try to emulate in your own game yeah well Taves obviously his leadership skills are are very elite from what I've heard and then just seeing him how good of a teammate he is on off the ice and then uh his 200 foot game is is pretty special and I I try to emulate him as much as possible and then Patrick Kane he speaks for himself with his uh you know passing ability and then his shot too is world class but just his his ability to find find open ice and, and he makes the game look pretty simple out there so I mean it's pretty fun to watch Lastly, I gotta ask you about the names. Uh, Chaz is your name. Cruz is your brother's name. Uh, is there a story that goes with those names? You, you must have asked your parents at some point. If there is a story, I haven't heard it because they just said that they wanted uh, two kids with with names C's in it. So, 
that that's just kind of how it went and and that kind of sounded similar so i was first and they gave me chad so then they so then they got Cruz next out of it so i'm not really sure exactly how how it came up to be but i'm i'm glad so i mean my brother has some pretty cool names i like to think so it, it's cool well it's cool because they're unique and you have names that other there's not a, it's not like you have a, a name like dave or something or in school there's five <laughs> of them in your class um so you have that yeah. going for you for sure uh any other siblings uh, no, no other siblings. Okay. Awesome. Well, Chaz, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, continued success here in this, uh, COVID abbreviated season and the, at the World U18s. I hope it goes well for you and, uh, maybe we'll, we'll chat again one day after the draft. Perfect. Thank you for your time. That was Chaz Lucius from the U.S. National Development Team. Conversation I had with him, uh, I believe it was Wednesday. And now that it's Saturday, he's got another game under his belt. And wouldn't you know it, he's got another goal as well. He has pushed those numbers now up to 12 goals, 17 points in 10 games. So the guy just keeps on scoring. And uh, personally, I love the goal scorers. To me, that's that's the thing that's the hardest thing to do at the professional level is to put the puck in the back of the net. So uh, if I'm a drafting team, those are the guys I want, the the skill and not just the playmaking, but the guys who can put the puck in the net. I think it's easier to make the pass than it is to beat the goaltender, and I might be splitting hairs. They're all great skills, don't get me wrong, and I'm not trying to say uh, that you don't need uh, guys who can pass because obviously you do, but you need people who can bury the puck as well, and Chaz Lucius can do that. One more segment to go on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show, and uh, so we're going to head back to the Troubled Monk Hotline, and my guest will be Ross McLean. He is a player development coach, and uh, has been a longtime scout as well, has worked with Hockey Canada, and we're talking about the BCHL and the recent story that the league would separate from the Canadian Junior Hockey League, form its own sort of renegade league, might even pull four teams out of the AJHL to join them, but why? And what would they benefit? Well, we'll talk to Ross about that and what the model that the USHL and USA Hockey have put together and why it's worked. And could that be replicated for Junior A Hockey in Canada? Not Major Junior. Major Junior is above Tier 1 Hockey in both Canada and the United States. But we're talking about, is this uh, Rebel League going to be sort of the Canadian version of the USHL? Just one league with 20 teams that would hopefully, hopefully for them draw players from across North America, across Canada especially, uh, to be the premier college hockey feeder from the Canadian side of the border. We'll see. We'll talk to Ross about that and more next here on the Pipeline Show, powered by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Coach Dibbon could not resist leaving Newhook out there. Newhook will wind up out of his own zone. He went from Newfoundland to Victoria last year. Here he goes. Wide around the river. Newhook shoots, scores! He does it again! Hi, it's Alex Newhook of the Victoria Grizzlies, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week has a real dark side to it. Tell us more, bud. A world award-winning brown ale, Open Road, ale that will have you asking yourself why you've avoided dark beers all these years. Roasty and delicious. Play with comparable Zidane Chara. Dependable and solid and not to be looked past. Troubled Monk, visit the taproom in Red Deer and get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. 
Troubled Bunk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I got a bad feeling about this. All right, we are back on The Pipeline Show, fueled by Wilhock Beef Turkey, and we've got one more segment to go, so we're going to hit back to the uh, Troubled Monk hotline and uh, my good friend Ross McLean. Uh, welcome back to the show. Ross, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm glad I was able to track you down. Uh, the, the listeners won't care, but we're doing this uh, really late at night because uh, you've been on the ice for the last uh, number of hours coaching, and uh, I know that's something that player development is something that you're key on. So when it came time to talk about the subject I want to talk about, you're one of the first guys that came to the the, the, uh, the top of my list. The reason I called is uh, this whole story about the BCHL, uh, the story originally broken by Rod Peterson from the Rod Peterson Show in Saskatchewan, uh, claiming that the uh, BCHL teams were going to leave the Canadian Junior Hockey League, and not only that, but four AJHL teams were going to go with them. You've heard the story, I'm sure. Your thoughts on it, where it goes from here. Yeah, I know. I, I heard the story. Uh, you know, there's been rumblings about it for for years, and there always is mm-hmm. in every uh, junior league across Canada. There's a few teams that kind of just sort of outpace the other teams in their league, and are always kind of looking for a little bit more and, and, and can operate particular uh, in particular ways that others others can't. You know, they make more money, they're able to recruit players better, so on, so on. So you know, you can kind of understand that there probably is a little smoke. I don't know if there's necessarily a fire behind that smoke or if you know, it's just a couple of people lighting cigarettes behind the behind the school and talking about it. But uh, you know, there's definitely there's definitely some conversation brewing about it, and that's not necessarily a bad thing to you know discuss why and and what the benefits could be and and look at other things because you know one of the things that we've seen in recent years with especially Canadian hockey is we we don't necessarily have the best development program anymore. That there are other countries that are doing things better than we are, and. Uh, you know, we could look to those to maybe try and improve and not just rely on the sheer power of numbers and tradition that we have to, you know, continue to offer the best possibilities and pathways for, for kids playing hockey and, and to, you know, further their their playing careers or their educations. Uh, you've been, you've worked closely with Hockey Canada in the past. When you say other countries are maybe out outdoing us now in the way we do things because they do them differently than, than Canada does, uh, who are some of those countries that come to mind, and what are they doing? Well, the, the the penultimate example is definitely Finland. I think Finland has the model of long-term athletic development, not just hockey players and, and long-term player development. Like that's a country that really kind of gets how to how to pass along uh, basic ideology to their population about how to stay fit, healthy, and to train for for higher levels. Their their structure is organized around uh, skill development. It's less organized around competition and, and uh, until later on in life. So it's, it's more kind of a multi-sport focus. It's more of a sampling focus as the, the kids are younger. Uh, and then as they get older, there's more more opportunity for them to kind of choose and specialize at an appropriate time. And that, that really is a huge advantage for, you know, a nation of just over 4 million people that tends to outpace everybody else per capita in terms of, of the hockey world. So, you know, but there's been countries in, in recent years who kind of changed their models. Obviously, we can look at the U.S., and things are very different in the U.S. than they were 25 years ago. Um, and, and you know, those those pathways work for some people, and, and they don't necessarily work for others. 
know, one of the one of the great examples of a program that's worked really really well has been the U.S. National Team Development Program, sure. and that's excellent for the kids that get selected for that. But for a while, there was a huge gap between the players that weren't selected for that uh, and the players that were. They got all the resources, and the other players were kind of left to defend for themselves. And so, you know, this is really kind of segues into this conversation as to, you know, we get the the USHL and it's gained a lot of steam uh, in the in the last few years as a as a great promoter. You know, originally it was just a great promoter of getting kids into NCAA uh, scholarships and and programs, and uh, you know now we're seeing lots of kids drafted from that that program uh you know and it's done very very well so uh obviously people look at that and they say you know okay well how do we emulate that success and if you're a you know a, a tier two team in in canada looking at it the, there certainly is particular models of it if you're a team of a certain ilk that you know you you kind of want to do that because with that comes things like development money and you know attention from from uh, professional programs, which allows you to get more resources and continue to build a better program. So everybody wants to get involved in that type of cycle. But, you know, when we talk about countries that are really pushing the envelope that everybody should be looking at, Finland has been has been the guiding force for almost 15 years now. And, uh, you know, there's not enough made of that. We, we talk a lot about programs like what we have in Canada and what we what the U.S. has built, but what, what Finland's been doing has been significantly stronger than, than either of them. But it's Maybe a little bit more difficult to emulate with the with the geography that we that we have here, but you know that being said, there's still lots of pieces from that that uh, that are being adapted, and, and you know really good people are looking at it and saying how do how do we do this? But it's really really difficult. You know, my time with Hockey Canada, you, you kind of always had that that uh, notion that yes, there's a better way to do things, but it is so difficult to push the reset button in Canada on something. The resistance that was made when body checking age was raised. And, you know, even since then, that's bred, you know, super leagues and other, you know, private leagues and so on that are now, you know, basically going backwards and doing the body checking at at younger ages, even though a decision by, you know, really good people over a long period of time with a lot of evidence and, and research done to it, there were still people that said, no, 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 it was better before, and this is what we have to do. If we're not checking in Peewee or U13 now, then then uh, kids are being being lagged behind. Well, usually these people, again, are the same people that aren't necessarily aware of everything that's been going on in European countries that have been doing it this way for, for a long time, focusing on other things, and why we're, we're lagging behind. We, we tend to focus on some of the wrong things and you know in Canada it's really really difficult to just say hey there's a better way let's change what we're doing to do that there you know you, you can't and the the politics involved in that like it's it can be it can be a lot you know I remember when it was happening and just being you know kind of one of the grunts at Hockey Canada and then my phone would ring all the time with people wanting to give me a piece of their mind over it and uh, so you know the, the it, it breeds kind of a distrust it breeds a it breeds an almost uh, confrontational viewpoint from some people. So, you know, there's, there's not really an, an appetite for a lot of that change. And, you know, I think you're going to see the same thing. There'll be a real, if this does come to fruition, there'll be a real debate among, you know, the people that that are looking at development one way and the people that are looking at it from the perspective of what the benefits are. And, you know, there is. There's pros and cons, and they've got to be weighed. And, and uh, you know, it's really going to affect how how certain things are done. All right, well, for the sake of this discussion, let's focus on comparing maybe the USHL model to uh, what uh, the situation here is in Canada and if it would work or not. And you, you go back 25 years ago, as you said, and 
the USHL is completely different than it looks now. But you know, go back 25 years. Just the structure of hockey and junior hockey in the states has changed. And I think, I think we could really credit the expansion of the NHL. You know, going into California and, and hitting those places in Florida and Arizona, and you know, 15 years later, you've got an influx of kids from those non-traditional hockey markets who are taking up the game and wanting to play. And then 15 years later, when they're old enough, they're trying to play junior hockey. And I, I think that's where the benefit has really come for the USHL is, you know, you mentioned when the development program just started, they were the, the best 25 kids in the country and everybody else was way behind. Well, now there's enough players to sustain a, you know, a 16-team league and the NAHL as well underneath that. Well, and you know, one of the really interesting points here, and, and we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves on it, is that, you know, let's say this decision does come into effect and, you know, this Super League happens between BC and Alberta, the USHL is probably going to respond in kind and they have some serious advantages. So there's already, you know, we talked about how it's been popping up in these places, the influence in California. Now we're seeing a real influence in Nevada with the success of the Golden Knights. We're seeing a real interest in junior hockey in Texas, which has long time been sure. kind of more of the like tier three level. But there's, there's some, there's some serious ownership groups that are looking to, looking for that opportunity to convince the league to let them put teams in places like Fresno where the, where the U18 World Championships are going to be held this year. And, you know, that's going to pick up steam. And that's one of the really, really difficult decisions to me from if you're one of these groups or a group that's looking at at overseeing this particular league is that, you know, if you do that and it affects the USHL whatsoever, the USHL has some major leverage in terms of combating that by expanding into markets that the BCHL and AJHL could never do or those those particular teams can't influence that as well. Right. You know, there's just there's not going to be enough centers to do that. So, you know, if they're looking to compete with the USHL, to me that's a that's a difficult difficult decision to make because the USHL has that capability to flood them by doubling their size if they wanted to and re- opening recruitment to even more players and then saturating the level of talent that's coming from or available to the teams uh, in those particular leagues. Now there are, you know, some great teams that are, are model junior hockey franchises that, you know, far outdo, you know, even, even a lot of major junior teams. Um, you know, you look at centers like, you know, Penticton and Brooks and Okotoks, uh, you know, these places do phenomenally well. They have a great history. Uh, the community support the teams. Uh, they, constantly are able to recruit talent and, and have people on, on radars for getting NCAA scholarships. So, so you know, there, there's lots lots to gain for those particular teams, but the other teams are the teams that are, are really going to are really going to suffer because of it. And there are certain teams that are kind of on the bubble. And, you know, I don't want to name any teams because, you know, again, not having super intimate knowledge of everybody's financial structures and how much money they're making and how successful they are. Sure. I don't want to speculate on any of that. But, you know, there are some that I'm sure think that making a decision like this puts them into a category with those teams when it likely doesn't, when it likely puts them further into competition with those teams for the same players but a, a smaller player pool because of the basically the league that they're going against. It's not going to be the Western League. It's not major junior hockey. It's the USHL. And if the USHL starts to take a hit on that, they have options. They have a lot of options. So that's my biggest concern 
in terms of a decision like this. And, you know, and even that, say that happens, well, that creates a lot of positive development opportunities for Canadian athletes, for Canadian hockey players to further go to the USHL. You know, uh, it, it could create more opportunities within Western Canada um, at, at that junior A level. And, you know, then you've got to, there's going to be a ripple effect. Yeah. And the ripple effect is usually the thing that's not thought of. It's usually not the thing that's kind of left behind. You see all these great pros for making these great decisions to move into things, especially with development programs. You know, we look at Hockey Canada's decision to move from the five U17 development teams playing in the, the U17 um Challenge, right. which is a challenge event. It's not a double IHF event. It's an event created by Hockey Canada to give players an introduction to a pathway to international competition. Great idea. Well, you move from five teams to three teams. Now you have less players that are entering that program of excellence. You have less players exposed to that. We've seen many times that players that don't make one of those three U17 teams do make the World Junior Team two years later. Mm-hmm. And lots of players that are exposed to that don't. So it's it's one of those ripple effects that, that you know, you think that you're creating something that creates a pipeline or creates a funnel that, that does things a particular way, and it, it, it very rarely actually does kind of follow that flow. And we've kind of seen that over the years with lots of decisions that have been made through teams. But, that you know, to me, that's that's one of the, the greatest examples. You know, we're seeing it right now in Alberta as well, where the, the elite U16 level is moving from, uh, especially in Calgary, they had two teams uh, in each quadrant of Calgary, and, and they're moving to one. Well, that's less opportunities at a high level of hockey for 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 players. Right. Does it does it make those teams more concentrated in terms of their talent? Yes, but there's still only particular uh, so many particular minutes, so many particular offensive reps uh, that players can get. And now all of a sudden, you have if there was two teams and the players were distributed evenly, the players that were on the on the first and second line of one team could be the players that are on the third and fourth line of the other team. Now they're not playing power play. Now they're not getting as many minutes. They're not getting as many puck touches. Uh, they're not focused on in terms of their development as much. So you have less opportunity. And that's really, to me, kind of the what I'm looking to find out is how they sell how this is actually opportunity for athletes coming up. And that's that's going to be the most important thing. Because if it's business-related in terms of these teams thinking that if they did this, they're going to have a better business or it's going to be a better quality product, well, the pie is still the same size and there is that leverage with that group below. So how are we going to mitigate that loss of opportunity for, for those players? How, how are we going to handle any of these situations that actually breed development deficiencies for players. And and that's got to be one of the major concerns, I think, for Canadian hockey players in Western Canada. Well, and if we're comparing the, the USHL and the, the USA hockey model to what we have for uh, the top junior A hockey in Canada, tier one that we call it now, uh, we used to always call it tier two, but, you know, the, the, the top of the pyramid in Canada is major junior hockey, but the top of the pyramid in Canada to send players to the NCAA is, is tier one. Um, junior A hockey, there's there's 10 of those leagues spread across the country, whereas the United States, the top league is the USHL. There's only one of them for the entire country. So you're t- I mean, we have 132 teams trying to send players to the NCAA. They have 16. Uh, so there's, it's a massive difference. Now, I know that the, the NAL sends players as well, but is, is what the hope for these BCHL teams is, is that by leaving, if they can, leave the CJHL, they become that de facto 
northern USHL, if you will, uh, where they are 15, 17, 20 teams, and they're, they become the top of the tier one pyramid in, in Canada. Is that their hope? Because how does that work then? Because you got players spread across the country. Exactly. Well, from a sheer numbers perspective, again, you're looking at the populations within Western Canada. Now, you know, they'd have to change the rules, and obviously if they go renegade, they don't have to follow the Hockey Canada rules, and there's some consequences to that, but there could be that possibility that now, hey, they could open up and recruit players from Europe, they could open up and recruit players from, um, you know, outside of Alberta and, and BC, they could kind of make their own rules, and they could do that. So that could actually, you know, help them do that. Now, you know, part of it may be looking at the numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but I, you know, I was reading through this before. And if we look at sort of the last couple of drafts, I think it's been five to one is the ratio that the USHL is outnumbering NHL draft picks to um, the CJHL as a total, not just the BCHL and, and, and AJ. So it's, you know, like 50 players to 10 players type sure. of thing uh, in a year. And so, you know, that's, that's got to have a piece to it as well. I don't know what the numbers are in terms of, you know, percentage or ratio of, of players recruited per capita for NCAA programs, which is, you know, their most teams, their, their major draw and their major focus is on, on that element. But those, those things definitely factor in. But the other side of it is the U.S. population is significantly larger than, than Canada. So they have to pretty much, if they're going to make a decision like this, open open the borders, open, you know, have almost no import rules and try to recruit the best possible players that they can. If that's the goal of this program is to have more players from these teams be recruited to NCAA programs. And that in itself will create a problem for those communities because those communities which are focused on players from the region getting those opportunities are now creating a business model that if they're, they're doing that, they're not going to be successful because, again, that pie stays the same size. So lots of lots of issues in terms of that you know the other side is going to be the whole insurance side of it where you know you're under hockey canada's umbrella you have a a nice comfortable insurance policy um when you're a renegade outside of it insurance becomes an issue Mm -hmm. insurance becomes quite difficult and again you know i'm not the best person to speak on that but certainly you know i i understand that there is implications there that are that are difficult and it's you know now who's paying for that the owners of those franchises are paying for that. So there lies a pretty big risk, again, if you're one of those fringe teams especially. You know, the teams, the Brooks Bandits and the Okotoks Oilers and the Spruce Grove Saints and, you know, Grand Prairie, teams like that, like they, they've got money. They can they can usually probably stomach some of that. Same thing with Penticton. You know, they're going to be able to, to stomach some of that. But there are other teams that are involved in that. I mean, especially as the BCHL membership as a whole, there's – there's 70% of those teams that are really not going to have a, a very, they're going to have a bit of a bombshell dropped on them when all of a sudden this insurance thing falls into their lap and that's what they have to start looking at. So it's, it's, it's going to be a struggle for, for some teams. Again, there's probably eight to 10 teams that could do very, very well in it, be fine, operate how they wanted to. There's going to be risk associated with it, but uh, you know, they could, they could probably do it. The other teams and, there are certain teams that probably think that they're in there that aren't, um, and, and but there's probably some teams that don't have an appetite for it whatsoever. So I, I, again, I don't know any of that. I don't want to speak for anybody or, or speculate to it. But there's a there's a lot uh, of considerations in a in a decision like this. You know, they're 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 pretty well taken care of in a in a structure that they are. Are there some rules that they probably don't like? Absolutely. 
you know, but is is that uh is that worth the trade off for what they could put themselves into? Right. And it's it falls down to the ripple effect of everything. And I, I'm not sure exactly how that would look or play out. I'd have to hear more about their plans on things for it. But, uh, you know, from outside looking in and knowing what I know about development structures, that ripple effect would have a, a pretty strong, uh, a, a pretty strong wake on some of the, some of the smaller markets. Yeah. And right now we're still going basically a large lot on speculation. I mean, the story came out, but there hasn't been a whole lot in the, in terms of details. And I know a lot of people are, <laughs> you're reaching out to people and getting the radio silence uh, treatment. Uh, nobody's, nobody's wanting to talk a whole lot about it yet. Uh, just out of curiosity, I pulled up the roster for the Penticton V's. They've got six Americans. They've got players from Ontario and Nova Scotia and Quebec. So they're drawing players from all across the country already as it is. Penticton might be a bit of a special beast all their own, though, because they've been doing this for years. They have a track record of being able to to draw players from all the, uh, across North America. Yeah, th- that import side has always been one of those things. I mean, they're they're a team that they, they take that seriously. They want to have a full roster of players that are getting recruited to NCAA programs, and yeah. that's their focus. And so that's how they recruit, and they're very very aggressive with it. Um, you know, Brooks, the Bandits, and, and Alberto Junior League are another team that kind of follows that model. Like they're very aggressive in terms of uh, recruiting imports and and kind of pushing the envelope on those on those kind of soft rules sometimes, and even on some of the harder rules. And but you know that's that's where those programs have the success, and you can't fault them for it. Yeah. You know, you you would love it if they were only focused on their you know regional players and doing everything that they can to do that. But you you get to a certain point where to be a competitive high end program, you've got to you've got to move beyond those, especially in in markets like we're in in Western Canada, where those are saturated by by Western League teams. You know, Brooks has Swiss Current and Medicine Hat and Calgary and Lethbridge and you know lots of groups that they have to deal with in terms of regional players uh as well as you know those players being drafted and going to out, out of province anyway so um you know the, again you kind of kind of admire just how passionate they are about it and and creative same thing with penticton they've they've built admirable programs um you know does it necessarily help the regular person who plays minor hockey in the brooks area yeah hard to say you know, same thing with Penticton. Hard to say. You know, you, you're not seeing a whole lot of homegrown talent come come through this place. I'm not saying you don't, because they're they're great places where hockey's huge in the in the fabric of the cultures of those of those towns. But uh, you know, it, and again, that's kind of got to be. You know, you look at a model like I talked about in Finland. Like that's what their club structure is is based around. It's based around producing regional talent, and when that talent gets to a certain level. They're kind of able to go punch their ticket to whatever professional club is going to give them the best development structure. Mm-hmm. You know, you can look at a high-end prospect like Brad Lambert, and he kind of grew up in the, the Lofty, which is Pelicans territory, and is now playing in, in Uvascula with with the professional team, and has kind of spent time with other programs. Has been in Helsinki. Has been, you know, has has kind of moved around and has been able to do that because he goes where he's offered the best development opportunity. And that's one of the things that the Canadian structure has always kind of been missing, you know, that and the fact that it's essentially it's a it's a U18 model, whereas in Europe it's, you know, they have they have many tiers of men's leagues that you can continue to play and develop at uh, if you feel like it, and they have stories every single year of guys that are 
you know, 25, 26, 27 years old who are finally making their debut in the top pro leagues. And then all of a sudden they're, they're playing in tournaments for national teams and all of a sudden they're ending up on NHL rosters at some point. Yeah. You know? So and that's something we don't have in Canada. And that's a, a really strange thing. And especially when you go over there and you talk to Europeans about it, they, they don't believe that for a second. Right. But our models are basically built around, uh, you know, specializing in the sport early and uh, having your, having your, you know, real opportunity at 16, 17, 18 years old. Those are kind of your push. And in, in Western Canada, I mean, obviously with the, with the, the U15 draft, you've got 14 year olds and, and 15 year olds that are, that are, you know, basically at, uh, at, at, at a crossroads for their careers at that point. And that's, it's, it's really difficult. It's a really, really difficult situation to, you know, manage because the, the shortening the time on everybody just makes everything have that, just that much extra pressure. It makes everything that much more important. And it also makes that everything that much more contentious. And uh, that's where, you know, issues like this where, Hey, you know, there's a league that wants to do something a little bit different. Well, doing things different, could end up really changing things and as much as that could be for the good it could also be at this the serious detriment of opportunities for western canadian athletes one last thing i want to ask about ross is uh the with the ushl and and the having the the national development program playing within the league now it's really raised the profile of the ushl because now when the draft comes around and you know they the league gets 45 players taken, 20 of them are coming from the one team. Uh, so it really boosts the profile of the league. Let's hy- hypothesize that this uh, happens in Canada and the BCHL leaves uh, the CJHL, creates its own entity. Why can't Canada have uh, a development program like USA Hockey does? And I'm not saying take players out of major junior, but those guys who want to go on and, and play collegiate hockey, why why can't we have a, a national development program like the U.S. does? There, there's no reason you couldn't, uh, and you know obviously there's some huge benefits to it, but there's also there's also some some pitfalls to it as well. You know, so much of resources get put into those 40 players, and everybody else is sort of left behind. So it it, it again it kind of falls into that really. You know, you have to make a decision on people at a particular age. What they do in Finland, and when I first moved there, I thought it was genius, is they have basically a rotating schedule where players from their national U20 or U18 teams play in the lower levels of the, the men's league. Now, it's a rotating schedule. All those guys go play, and some of them play in that league on other teams, but every now and then they get called into duty, and they're two weeks with basically the national team, and they're playing games in a you know particular schedule. And that really, really works for that program. Like It's a lot of fun. You get the, Those coaches get to come and see you know, different line combos. They get that chemistry. Obviously, again, the geography is a major factor. Yeah. But there's no reason why there couldn't be, you know, three. There couldn't be a, you know, a Central Canadian team, a Western Canadian team, and an Eastern Canadian team that did something similar to that. And you don't have to steal players players from their their club rosters, whether it's whether it's Junior A or whether it's Major Junior. You could just borrow them for, you know, two weeks at a time. They also institute, you know, national team breaks where those those teams get to actually go and the players that are on those go and play in little mini tournaments and so on. And that again is something that the Canadian players don't get the benefit of doing that short term competition piece. You know, everything's league play, league play, league play. So you know, from a hockey Canada standpoint, that would make a ton of sense, and it would be it would be nice to be able to to execute. Um, but again, you're you're piling a lot of resources into a, a very 
small group. Like it's very expensive to to operate, and uh, you know, is that money better earmarked for for other programming? And with a population like we have in Canada, with with you know numbers moving in the wrong direction or, or shrinking, we need to kind of put more of those resources into recruitment and retention initiatives as opposed to you know just having high level players all the time. And, you know, I, I can't actually for a long time I could say that that was the Hockey Canada viewpoint, and and I you know I can't honestly say that I believe that it is anymore. But again, I don't I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. Just my personal opinion from what I've seen in the last little while is that it's moving more towards exactly what you know what you're proposing as opposed to you know spreading that out and and trying to grow the game to to a particular level. At least you know from my vantage point, and I'm very much on the the radical side of trying to develop the sport and get more people involved in it. So, you know, it's not for everybody, but it's it's certainly something I'm passionate about. Well, and it fuels a great discussion. Uh, and, uh, Ross, I really appreciate your time. Lots to digest. Uh, I'm going to have to listen to this interview two or three times to take in all everything that you had to say. Uh, but I'm uh, I'm glad I was able to track you down. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, happy to do it. Uh, it's uh, it's fun to discuss this and again certainly it's going to breed some great debates should they move forward with any of it and absolutely hopefully again the focus is on the opportunity and and not uh not the business side thanks ross my pleasure anytime that is ross mclean uh player development coach and a uh, longtime good friend of the pipeline show worked several years closely with hockey canada has been an independent scout uh, before that and after that as well so uh really respect his opinion and wanted to hear from him Obviously, I screwed up my microphone settings again. I apologize for that. Uh, thankfully, 90% of that uh, lengthy interview, it's about 28-minute interview, uh, most of it was him, and he sounded great. So I apologize for uh, my end of that. Now, when it gets to the question of what's happening here with this league, or with the BCHL and possibly the AJHL, I like the AJHL as it is. I think it's a successful league. We've seen uh, comments from... Teams like the Brooks Bandits, one of the clubs that was mentioned in the initial uh, story, uh, that have said we like where we're at. We have we're not pursuing leaving the league. I've reached out to some other people around the league as well, and uh, most of the people have said it doesn't make any sense. There has been one or two people I've spoken with who say, you know, that there could be something in the works. So we'll see. Nobody wants to go on record really about it though. I also found, I found it interesting that there's been no official comment from the BCHL commissioner or from the CJHL. Everything is kind of being not talked about, uh, which I'm not sure how to take that. Uh, so we'll see where the story goes. Uh, I like the AJHL as it is. I can understand, maybe, sort of, if there was the desire to have uh, a league that was above the other CJHL leagues uh, to become that, that absolute, what I described as the top of the pyramid, uh, for NCAA uh, feeder leagues. I've always kind of wondered why there isn't a, a Canadian version of the U.S. National Team Development Program. You know, you get the, the, the top U17 and U18 players to play a couple of years within the program. I You know, I would base it out of Calgary, have them play against AJHL and, and BCHL teams. They don't have to be officially part of the AJHL or the BCHL, but play a number of games against those teams. Have that team go over and play in the World U18s not the World Junior Championship, not the U20s, but the, the U17s, the U18s. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I I would understand that there would probably be some uh, CJHL teams that would be disappointed with that because a guy like, say, let's say Dylan Holloway, 
then he's not playing for Okotoks. He's playing for Team Canada. Or Alex Newhook, he's not playing for Victoria. He's playing for Team Canada. And and I would certainly understand that argument. Uh, but let me know what you think. You can hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. That ends this week's episode, which brings me to cleanup time. And uh, I have to remind you to go out and get a bidet. Stop wiping, start washing. The evolution of uh, toiletry. But for some reason in North America, we haven't uh, clicked into how awesome a bidet is. You go to hellotushy.com slash pipeline, and it becomes very, very affordable. You get an extra 10% off just for using the pipeline in the URL. That's hellotushy.com slash pipeline. A little over 100 bucks American, and you'll set yourself up with a, a an awesome bidet. And quite honestly, I've been using now mine now for five, six months. If I'm at a toilet that doesn't have a bidet now, I don't like it. I've been spoiled by my bidet from Tushy. So the website, hellotushy.com slash pipeline. Next week on the show, there might be two shows, two episodes. Uh, early in the week, I plan on having the NCAA Frozen Four Coaches show. That will be all four coaches provided by the NCAA to uh, the media. Uh, I have the audio from that. With the COVID situation, I, I expected that it wouldn't be possible for me to or likely for me to get all four coaches on like I normally do every year uh, so I wanted to get the audio from the NCAA and they were gracious enough to provide that uh, so I will share that with you early in the week and I may get a media guest as well to kind of like, uh, like Adam joined me this week uh, to take another run at the Frozen Four and then there should be a normal show as well at the end of the week uh, next weekend with another draft spotlight and updates from the WHL and the Q and the OHL and uh, the USHL and college hockey down there as well. Uh, so I, there might be two episodes next week. We'll see. But until then, I just want to thank everybody. If you were a newcomer to the show and this was your first episode of the Pipeline Show, then I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll be back for more. If you're a returning listener, then thank you very much for your continued support. And when it comes to support, Nobody can top my patrons. Patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Your support uh, obviously means the world to me. A couple of bucks a month is what most people are paying. And uh, that gets them early access to all the interviews that you hear on the program on a full episode. They're available to patrons usually an hour or so after the interview has taken place. Uh, so say the interview with Chaz Lucius that you heard in the second guest segment today. Well, it's been available to patrons. Uh, since Wednesday. Patrons also get a heads up on who's coming up on the show as guests and have the opportunity to submit questions for those guests. So if that sounds like a good deal and something you'd be interested in for a couple of bucks American and it's all done via credit card and PayPal, I don't see those numbers. It's all done securely. So there's no uh, no worries about uh, me using your card to buy pizza or something like that. Uh, it's been fantastic. And lastly, uh, I know COVID situations uh, in the States, I, I know you're all getting vaccinated very quickly and uh, it's happening for you a lot quicker than it is up here in Canada. So uh, I'm, I'm happy for you guys. Stay safe and stay vigilant. Uh, not out of the woods just yet. And uh, for my Canadian friends and listeners, the vaccines are coming. Uh, we're, we're definitely behind what's happening in the United States. And we're seeing it starting to impact even the NHL, uh, the Vancouver Canucks, the Montreal Canadiens here recently. And uh, this past week with the Kelowna Rockets, we know it's uh, been a situation earlier this year in the queue. But more importantly and most importantly, uh, with these new variants, they're, they're having 
more dangerous effect on people who previously weren't in that risk category. Uh, I'm talking about 30 and 40 year olds who are now being uh, taken to ICUs uh, because of these uh, Brazilian variants that have arrived now in our neck of the woods. So stay safe, everybody. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Until then, my name's Guy Flaming. This has been the Pipeline Show, fueled by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Have a great weekend. See ya. <laughs>